Welcome to another Tuesday night at Young Adults. I am glad that you all are here. You made it. Uh, I love Tuesdays. I look forward to it every single week. And so uh, Jared actually lied to y'all last week. I gotta tell you that. He's on vacation tonight, so I can say that while he's not here. He said we were gonna be in a series, but actually I'm switching it up. And so we talked about really not shortchanging God last week, but tonight we're gonna talk about really not shortchanging the power of prayer, okay? And so I gotta ask you a question to start off. Have you ever done something or did you ever do something when you were uh, like dumb when you were little, yeah? Everybody raises their hand, correct? Um, I wanna tell you one dumb thing I did. I could go on and on about that, but I'll only tell you one thing. So when I was a kid, I took a balloon, all right? Not a water balloon, but a balloon. I had some friends over at my house, and I decided I was gonna hook it up to the sink, and I turned on the water, and I wanted to see how big I could get this balloon. And so uh, it starts filling up, right? And I actually get it, it's like massive. It takes like two of us to get it out of the sink. We tie it off and this thing is like full, full, okay? And like I said, I'm not the smartest guy ever and I definitely wasn't the smartest kid. And it's sitting on the countertop at my parents' house. My parents are at work, right? Everything good happens when your parents are at work. And so I did one time light a Barbie doll on fire, but that's another story of something dumb that I did, okay? Um, I put this this balloon, it wasn't even a water balloon, on the counter and it's completely full like this big I'm telling y'all and so I start to kind of like juggle it and bounce it and uh, yeah you can see where this is going and it literally pops and in that moment water gushes everywhere it's going to the living room and getting on the carpet it's going all the way to where the deck is at my house and it's like going there it's going towards the laundry room and underneath the fridge I mean water is absolutely everywhere so I did the logical thing all right did not call my parents because why would you do that my friend and I, we grabbed every single towel that we had at our house and we dried it up, okay? And so I'm thinking like, man, I'm good to go. Like, I'm not gonna get caught for this. We're all good. Um, But the problem was is I don't know how to do laundry at that time. And so I have about 30 wet towels when my mom gets home. But that was just like one example of a dumb thing that I did. But in that moment, I saw the water going and you're like, this is not gonna be good. You're throwing up that Hail Mary prayer. Like, God, please, like, please, please, please help me get this cleaned up before my parents get home. right don't let my sister see it either so she can't call my parents and like you're throwing up that Hail Mary prayer and some of y'all have been there maybe you've even been there this week you pass a a cop while you're driving and you're like oh gosh I cannot afford another speeding ticket okay and you're throwing up that prayer like God please I promise I'll drive the speed limit the rest of my life or at least the rest of this day and so we throw up prayers like that sometimes right and and like I'm not saying that's a bad thing but If we just view prayer as kind of like, oh, if I'm in need or in trouble, it's like, uh, I just throw out a prayer and see what, like, God wants so much more for us in our prayer life than that. And I think when we talk about prayer, it's one of those things, it's like, if God is real, if he is the creator of the universe, and we literally have the ability to talk to him, we probably want to know what that looks like and how to do it. And also, not only that, we want to know, like, does prayer matter? Does prayer have any power in our lives? Like, does it matter? And so prayer is like, like I wish that we were doing a series on this. Maybe we will in the spring or later this fall. I don't know. Um, uh, I wish we were doing a whole series because what you're getting tonight, do we have any Branson, Missouri fans in the house tonight? I love Branson. I'm on Dixie Stampede. You see that it's down there. Like, I don't understand Branson, okay? I don't understand Branson. Um, I've been in Springfield my whole life, and I, you, you run across people, they're like, yeah, we came down from Minnesota to go to Branson for the weekend, and you're like, really? Okay, yeah, go for Silver Dollar City, it's awesome. Um, but they do 
like helicopter rides in Branson. And I'm like just thinking like that is a ridiculous thing, but it's a thing. And so what we're doing tonight is we're taking a helicopter ride over Branson, uh, but it's only it's over prayer, okay? So that's what we're gonna do uh, tonight and just kind of look at prayer. And I wanna go to the Old Testament the time uh, when this is before Jesus' time, and I wanna go to the book of First Kings, and I wanna tell you about a guy named Elijah, and as we look at Elijah's life, we can see some practical application points for our lives today. Why? Because the word is God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It speaks to us even today in 2021. And so I wanna look at the story of Elijah. Now, as we do that, I've got to be able to give you some background into what's going on in 1 Kings and what's happening in the world around Elijah. And so when we look at the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, many, many biblical scholars think that this was actually really one book when it was written, okay? And so this is a book looking at the Israelite people. In the Old Testament, the Israelite people were God's chosen people. It's a dialogue. The Old Testament, much of it is a dialogue between God and the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel, mainly because of their like lack of trust with God, even though they've seen some amazing things happen, they say, hey, we want a king over our nation like everybody else has, okay? And that's what they've asked for. God has basically said, like, here you go, you can have it. And first and second kings are basically looking at the relationship between the kings of Israel and God's prophets. God's prophets were his chosen people, men of righteousness, women of righteousness who were chosen to communicate the word of God to the people of Israel. And so that's what Elijah was. Elijah was a prophet. And so in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, what we see is that this is really when things are going good, it's because the Israelite people are following the commands which God has laid out. And when things are going bad, it's because they are not doing what God has laid out for them. And so uh, not really rocket science here of what's happening. But at this time, in the time of Elijah, there is a king over the Israelite people named King Ahab, okay? And King Ahab was not a good man. We see in 1 Kings chapter um, 17, that King Ahab had actually done, and there's been some bad things going on in Israel. It says that King Ahab has actually done more wrong in the sight of God than any other king before him, and he has done much to stir up the anger of God. Like, that's pretty bad. And to make matters worse, he has married a woman named Jezebel, and Jezebel is equally as evil as he is. So you have Elijah, God's chosen prophet. You have King Ahab, who is an evil man, and you, have, and you have his wife as well, who they're just not serving God at all. And so we see this, that Jezebel and Ahab are very much against the plans that God has for the people of Israel. And so what do they start doing? And uh, that's just a testament too. Side note, who you, matter, who you marry matters, okay? So um, I think that Ahab was probably doing pretty bad on his own, and then he marries Jezebel, and she was probably doing pretty bad on her own. And you add that together, it is not a good mix. I'll just say that as a side note, who you marry really matters. Okay, back to the story. Um, King Ahab is basically taking Israel, and instead of serving the one true God, the God who has shown himself time and time again, he has started to build, build temples and worship a false God named Baal. 
okay? And then not only that as well, there is a, a goddess, a false goddess named Asherah, who Jezebel is, is serving as well, and they're building these temples. And this is some evil stuff going on. You're like, that sounds weird, like some weird names, Baal, Asherah. They're building temples to him, like, okay, whatever. But there were some evil things attached to that. Baal was considered to be like this supreme God amongst the people. This pagan uh, God was considered to be the supreme God. He was uh, considered, he was usually depicted uh, as like a God who was over the storms and the sun. And basically, to appease him, oftentimes people would have to sacrifice children in order to appease Baal, in order for their crops to yield more fruit, in order to have a better yield on their crop, they would have to sacrifice children in order to have this happen. Can you see how lost and broken they are? And I think like side note here for a second, I think it's easy for us to look at that and be like, that sounds weird, like we don't do stuff like that anymore. We've totally graduated from that. But the word of God is living and it's active. And what God's word says is that we are sinful as human beings. And so we still have the same struggles as the Israelite people did in serving these false gods. And I think sometimes, you know what it looks like in our society? Just like they sacrifice children to the God of Baal, I think we sacrifice children through abortion in our culture, in our culture to the God of ease, to the God of convenience, to the God of our own plans, to the God of it wasn't supposed to be this way. And I have to say that when we look at God's word as an entirety, we can totally see that God's character as he is 100% pro-life. He created us, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. And so if we look at this evil and think that we are so far from it, I think we're sadly mistaken. And I just wanna say uh, that if, in a group this size, right, there's maybe someone in here, someone watching online, who you've had an abortion. And I wanna say to you that you can have forgiveness through Jesus because of that, that his grace extends even to that. And I can tell you that you probably have a hole in your life and some pain in your life, and God is the only, 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 only one who can fill that void. And there is hope for you. And so I do wanna say that, but I think that if we look at the Israelite people and say, we're so far from that, like we need to be careful and understand that we're very much at risk of the same things. And so Elijah, being the prophet of God that he is, what does he do? He actually calls a drought upon Israel at this time. And so he calls upon this drought. God has called him to call upon this drought on Israel, which would totally affect everything in their way of life. And you would think that would give a wake-up call to the people of Israel to turn back, that King Ahab and Jezebel would turn back to God in response to this. But instead, what do they do? they actually start hunting down and killing God's people. They actually start hunting down and killing the prophets appointed by God, so much so that King Ahab has to flee and is in hiding, right? And God's protecting for him and providing for him at this time. It actually tells us that, um, that in this story, Elijah is actually the only prophet of God left because Jezebel is commanding that they be killed and they're hunted down. And to give you like a modern day example of what that would feel like, it's easy to look at that and to separate ourselves from it. I think a good, like, uh, uh, a good modern day example of that would be like being a Christian in Afghanistan right now and going to the head of the Taliban and professing uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
I mean, that's like the risk that's going on here with Ahab. I mean, with, with Elijah amidst Ahab, this is like, there's hostile territory. But Elijah steps out in faith and he approaches King Ahab. And he's finally had enough of what's going on and God calls him to go to King Ahab. And he meets him. Could you imagine the courage to be face to face with him? And he says, this is what Elijah says to him. He says, it's time to gather the people of Israel. We're gonna gather them on Mount Carmel. And it's time to see if God, if the God I serve is the one true God, then let's follow him. And if he's not, then let's follow Baal. And Elijah kind of throws down this challenge to King Ahab and to Jezebel. And so what do they do? Is that there's 450 prophets of Baal at this time. Remember Elijah said to be the only one left. There's 400 prophets that are committed to Asherah and serving this goddess. So you have 850 false prophets total against one Elijah and they're all gathered, all of Israel is gathered on Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, we'll build two altars. We'll build two altars and we're gonna ask God to show up and you're gonna ask Baal to show up and see what he does. So they build two altars. And the people of Israel and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, they're calling on this false gods to reign, like to do something, to show up. And so on this day, they're all gathered together. And it says from morning time until noon, the the people are calling on Baal, the prophets of Baal are calling on him to show up and he does nothing. All the way from morning until noon. And it's funny because like trash talk is actually in the Bible. Elijah like kind of starts clapping back at him, right? He's the Kevin Garnett. Any basketball fans? He's like the Kevin Garnett of God's prophets. And he starts like chirping at him. And he's like, hey, where's Baal at? Is he busy? Is he going? Is he relieving himself? Like what's he doing? Hey, you should scream louder. You should shout more. And he's egging him on. He's provoking him. And what these prophets of Baal actually start doing is they start cutting themselves with knives and with swords. They start cutting themselves, trying to make something happen because Baal's not showing up. And this goes on until evening. And Elijah pauses, right? Don't think I forgot about prayer. Okay, we're getting to it. Elijah pauses. And this is what he says in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 37. We're going to see the prayer that he says. It says, at the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know, O Lord, you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And he offers up this prayer. And what happens over the next couple of verses is nothing happens for the prophets of Baal. But what happens is God actually rains down fire from the sky. And the altar that Elijah has constructed with a bull on it is actually set ablaze. It's been soaked three times with water. It's sitting gallons deep in water. It's been drenched. It's been soaked. Elijah told him before God rains down fire, hey, soak it three times. What does God do? He sends fire from heaven, rains down on it, proving that he is the one true God in front of his chosen people, Israel, that have chosen to walk away from him. He shows them one more time, I am the true God. And I love that. Like, we could stop right there. And that just shows you, like, the power of prayer. But I love moving on in this passage. 
And in 1 Kings uh, 18, 41 through 45, Elijah goes to Ahab after this has happened. And remember, there's a drought in Israel. It hasn't even rained for three and a half years. I have a daughter who's gonna be three in December. Like, it's amazing. Like, she knows so much. Like, when it rains and stuff, she talks about it. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, at three and a half years, they haven't even seen rain. Like, you, you wouldn't even think that it's on the radar. And this is what Elijah says to Ahab. He says, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low on the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to a servant, go look outward towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. How many of y'all, if your boss said like, hey, go do that, and you come back and it's like, go do that again. By the seventh time, you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. A torrential downpour is coming. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific storm, okay? A terrific storm. Have you ever called a storm terrific? I think that shows the magnitude of what was happening. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Like what a prayer of faith that he had right there. What a prayer of faith. And so as I think when we look at that story, the question we've got to ask is, okay, what do we do with that, Logan? Like, how does that have to do with our prayer life? Like, do I need to call God to like rain down fire on something, okay? I want a new car, maybe I need it totaled. And it's like, God, rain down fire on my 07 Nissan Altima. I would love a Range Rover. It's like, well, what do we do with like the application of this verse, of these passages? I think there's four things we can take away from this that we can apply to our lives today. And it's through the characteristics that Elijah was demonstrating in his life. And the first one is this, is that Elijah was righteous. Elijah was righteous. I would say that I know there's a lot of people who memorize scripture here in this crowd. And uh, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. A lot of people have memorized that. And if you're like me, I didn't realize verses 17 and 18 after that actually talk about the righteousness of Elijah. So we see that in the book of James in the New Testament, we see it connected all the way back to the Old Testament. That's the beauty of scripture and the beauty of God's word. But what was Elijah? He was righteous. In a time where everyone else was not following the commands of God, he was righteous. And it's easy to look at someone like that and be like, well, that's like, just a, that's like a story from a long time ago. Man, that's, that, Elijah was facing the same pressures we are. Do we speak out? Do we take a biblical stance on things? Do we pursue everything that God desires for our lives in the big things and the small things? 1 Peter 3.12 says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers but the Lord turns his face from those who do evil. And, and that, that's, a, that's like some tough things to swallow 
Because God's word is literally telling us in, in James 5.16, in 1 Peter 3.12, that God is going to listen to the prayers of righteous people, that they have power at his working. What is righteousness? Righteousness is doing right in God's sight. That's what righteousness is. Now, if you're in here and you're like, I'm not righteous, I'm far from God, I don't know anything about God, like, he's never gonna abandon you. He's never going to run away from you completely. I think of the story of the prodigal son, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter what you've done, no matter if you think you've done the worst thing ever, God will not turn his back on you. But just like for me as a parent, when my daughter is not listening to me, at some point, I have to kind of step aside and I've got to just let her go. But as we pursue the things that God has for us, as we pursue righteousness, God will show up in our prayers. Not always the way we expect, not always the way that we hoped for, but God will show up and he listens to our prayers. And being righteous, being right in God's sight, all starts with a relationship with Jesus. It all starts by saying yes to Jesus and recognizing that you have sin in your life, that you have failures, you have struggles, you've made mistakes in your life. And I wanna tell you this, like uh, this is something I've thought about a lot over the last year. And it's easy to get focused on like the big things we messed up, right? It's easy to think about the big mistakes that we've made, but God cares about every single decision we're making. So whenever I'm sitting in a staff meeting yesterday and I'm, I'm being short with my coworkers and my friends, and I kind of have a bad attitude, did you know that's not righteousness? Whenever I go home and my wife asks me a question and I just kind of brush it off and I don't really answer, that's not righteousness. Whenever I say that snide little comment about someone, that's not righteousness when I engage in gossip. Like all of those little things matter that in everything, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago, taking every thought captive, all of that stuff matters. Man, my desire in life is that I would be holy, that I would be righteous, that I would honor God with the way that I live in everything. And I, I don't think I really recognized that 10 years ago. I thought about the big things a lot, but those small things make such a difference. Pursuing God in all of the small things, from the music you listen to, to the shows that you watch, from the way that you speak to people, about people, all of that matters in our pursuit of Christ. Elijah was righteous, point number two. Elijah was bold in his faith. He went to Ahab, like that makes no sense. He's killed all the other people who are following God. Him and Jezebel have killed all the other people who are following God. And what does Elijah go to? He steps out in faith and he meets him face to face. That takes courage. The other part I love about Elijah's story where he steps out in faith and he has bold faith, the same way that we should pray, he calls for fire down from heaven. Like that's a crazy thing to pray for. But I love in verse 41, uh, in verse 42, whenever Elijah has gone back to Ahab, in verse 43 he says, then his servant said, uh, I mean, and so, so Ahab went to go get something to eat and drink in verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm, rainstorm coming. 
It hasn't rained in three and a half years. There's not a cloud in the sky on Mount Carmel. He can see everything. There's no cloud in the sky. That's why the servant has to go seven times. But what does Elijah say? He says, I can hear a mighty storm coming. Before he saw it, before he, before he knew it was there, he believed that God was going to show up in this moment. So in faith, that's what he prayed for. Elijah had bold faith. I wonder sometimes if we shortchange the power of prayer because we just don't ask for things. I love how Craig Rochelle talks about it, that if you're not praying prayers that could change the world, you're not honoring God with all of your prayers. Elijah was bold in his faith. Point number three is this, is that Elijah was humble. Elijah was humble. If we go back up, to his prayer as all of Israel is gathered. Talk about pressure pack, 850 verses one, plus a bunch of Israelite people. I mean, as they're gathered, what is his prayer? It says, oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. His prayer was not, hey God, do this for me so that I can be elevated and I wanna be your number one prophet. Do this for me so that I can look good. Do this for me so that I don't get killed. Do this for me for whatever reason. What does he say? He says, do this God so that they will know that you are the one true God. And what I've desired, like my prayer leading up to tonight, that's my prayer is that every person in this room would realize that God is the one true God. That's what my prayer is for you. That's what my prayer is for my life is that I would recognize that and I would understand that. And I love uh, in, in this same point that Elijah was humble in his prayer is what does he do at the top of Mount Carmel? As he gets down on his knees, he takes his hands to his face. What is that posture? That's a posture of humility. Like, if someone's getting down on their knees and they're burying their face into the ground, that's a posture of humility, all right? And so for me, that's not like how I pray, okay? Uh, and so as I've been reading this this week leading up to it, it's like, man, okay, God, I'm like reading this in your word. I gotta start doing this. I got a bad ankle and I'm 30 now, so like I don't know how well I get up and stuff, but like I'm gonna try it. And I've been doing that. And it's such an interesting thing because it's so outside of the norm. And if someone like saw you, they think that looks weird, right? But I think that's kind of the point is that it's outside of our typical routine. You don't see that all the time in life. It's outside of like what would be considered like customary behavior in our world that wouldn't be weird. And I think God says, yeah, this is a position of humility. And so I would challenge you like, are you going to God humbly in your prayers. And, and this is the thing, okay? Prayers can a lot of times feel like um, that microwave instant gratification. It's like we pop it in, God does something, we take it back out and we're good to go, right? We got a hot pocket and now we're not hungry anymore. And what the deal is though, is that prayer really starts with adoration. What was Elijah's desire is that people would know that God is the one and true God. What his desire was, was, was humble. His desire was humble in what he was doing. 
And I think that if our prayers are also focused on ourselves, it's like, God, help me get a good grade on this test as I've done this. God, help me in this job transition. God, I just graduated, help me find. And none of those are bad things. You should request all of those things. Bring all of your requests, all of your prayers before God. But one of the things that prayer should do is that we should adore God in prayers, that we should recognize him as author, as creator, as our savior, as the one who provides us with life and who sustains us. And so in humility, we are adoring who God is and we're recognizing his position as number one in our lives. I think Elijah did that. I think he knew that. Elijah was humble. Elijah was bold in his faith and he was righteous. What else was Elijah? Elijah was persistent. Okay. If I'm up on the top of Mount Carmel, I think I might be just going to phone it in after seven times. But Elijah didn't stop. You know, I wonder what else Elijah prayed for. When he was cast away and God was providing for him, we see that a couple er chapters earlier. Like, was he he like, God, are you ever gonna do something? I'm sure he had times where he was frustrated. But Elijah was persistent in his prayers. He didn't just pray once. He prayed seven times. And so I would challenge you, if you have something you're praying for and you kind of give up on it, What if you would be persistent in prayer? And not only persistent like in your prayer requests, but also consistent and persistent in your prayer life. There's a story I wanna tell you as kind of as we close here that I think highlights um, really who I wanna be as like a, you know, you hear the term prayer warrior sometimes, who I wanna be as a, a person who prays and seeks God. I wanna tell you the story of a lady named Helen Miles who goes to High Street uh, here. She's 88 years old, 88 years young, right? Helen uh, Miles is an, is an awesome lady. Man, if you ever get the chance to meet her, I, ho- I hope you do. Uh, and, and she told me not to mention her by name. She said, don't say him by name um, when I was talking to her about this story. She wasn't the one who told me the story I'm about to tell. Someone else told me it. I asked her about it. But I think it speaks to the persistence of prayer and the power of it. And so Helen Miles uh, committed to praying. You, you see all these flags that we have around the room and these candles down here. And it's like, why do we put that stuff out? Well, we have a World Project missions conference going on. They here at High Street, we support over 160 missionaries. It's a heartbeat of our church that we believe God is not the God of Springfield and Missouri and United States only, but also the entire world. And so we had some missionaries. I can't tell you their names because they were going to a country in which, and, and still are missionaries to a country in which it's dangerous for them to be there, right? Call that a restricted access. And so this missionary couple was sent out of High Street and Helen Miles committed to praying for this couple as they went. And y'all, I'm telling you, this story is even an answer to prayer, even the fact that I know it. I called this man and his wife and I was, I was like, man, I'm preaching this sermon on prayer. I know you're like a great man of faith and, and you're a great woman of faith. Can you tell me, like, can you, do you have any amazing stories of just prayer in your life? And he goes, you know what, I actually do. And so they're on the speakerphone in the car, this missionary couple. And they're telling me, hey, when, when we went to the country we were going to, Helen Miles committed to praying for us. And one night we found ourselves in the midst of like an absolute torrential downpour driving along the side of a mountain. 
in a place that we never should have been. We were on a one lane road that was under construction. There was no turning back. We had gotten ourselves into this position. We weren't really supposed to be here, but we couldn't turn back off of this road. Our only choice was to follow it. And so this missionary couple is driving in this torrential downpour. It's obviously hard to see, it's storming, it's loud, it's a tense situation. If you've ever been in a car in a situation like that, it's intense. And so they're, they're, they're panicking a little bit, right? And what they hear as they're driving on this one lane road is they hear the crack of rock. The fact that they could even hear it is amazing. And as they look up, they've got a boulder about the third of the size of their car starting to come down the mountain and come loose. And so they're in this little compact car and they start to gun it. And they're in this thing, he's like, he tells me, he's like, this thing, you couldn't gun it. We gunned it, but you couldn't go anywhere. And so they floor it. And what happens is this boulder goes just behind them and it goes down into a ravine 200, 300 feet below. And they said, we stopped, like we kept going because we had to, but when we got home, we stopped and we said, someone had to be praying for us. Someone had to be praying for us because we should be dead right now. It doesn't make any sense. The fact that it was pouring down rain and we actually heard this cracking, the fact that our car got past it and we aren't dead right now is an absolute miracle. So they sent out an email to some of the people who have been praying for him. Do you know who had been praying for him? Helen Miles, committed to praying for them. Helen Miles was at Nathaniel Green Park here in Springfield doing her daily walk. And she felt this prompting like, I've gotta pray for this. I've gotta pray for this couple right now. Didn't know what was going on with them, had no idea because of the time zone change. It was at that time that they were driving on this road, this missionary couple was driving. They're in another country. Helen is here in Springfield because of the time change. At this time, when Helen was walking around Nathaniel Green Park here in Springfield, Missouri, she felt prompted to pray for this couple. Y'all, I know too many stories like that for it to be an accident. There's too many stories for the power of prayer. I'm not saying that it's always gonna turn out exactly that way. I'm not saying God's always gonna answer everything the way that we think he should, but prayer has power. And I just don't wanna see us shortchange it. In our world, it doesn't make sense to like go to God in prayer and ask for things, but it's what his word tells us. And I wanna be like Helen Miles. You know, the fact that we're having this young adults conference and and things, and sometimes it's like, does anyone else know this is going on? It's like, cool, like we're excited about it, but does anyone else care about it? And I was talking to Helen on Sunday and she goes, I was like, yeah, so be praying for us. And she goes, oh, I already am. She knew about the conference long, like before I even told her about it, she already knew about it. I don't know how, but she's already been praying for it. I'm like, that's who I wanna be. At 88 year olds, if I make it to be 88 years old, that's who I wanna be like. I wanna be like that now over the next decade. I wanna trust God and go to him in prayer. And so what is the application of this? My challenge to you is, are you being persistent in your prayer? Maybe there's something you need to bring to God. Maybe you're far from faith and you're like, man, I I just like, I need to know if God, if you're there at all. That's a bold prayer. I'd challenge you to pray that. Maybe you have situations and circumstances, health issues, financial issues, School issues, job issues, transition issues, where am I gonna live issues? What if you'd go to God and you'd pray for that? What if you'd start praying about something bigger than yourself too? 
What could God accomplish through you? What does he want to do in your life? What does he want to do through this ministry here? What does he want to do through young adults? I just don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, man, I prayed some pretty like okay prayers. I want to be bold in my faith. And I got to ask, like when we're going talking about righteousness, I mentioned it earlier, that the only way we can be right in God's sight is through a relationship with Jesus. Prayer is relational. It's a conversation between us and our heavenly father, our creator. Did you know that God has already spoken to you and how he speaks to us is through his word. He's already started the dialogue. He's already started the communication. I wonder if you've ever communicated back. And we talk about this thing sometimes in church uh, called a sinner's prayer, right? It's like um, an acknowledgement of the wrong that you've done before God. And sometimes people are like, is that theologically accurate? All these different things. And you know what I think that's great about a sinner's prayer? What's great about in humility going to God is it's just a moment. That prayer doesn't save you. But going to God in a conversative tone and telling him, acknowledging him, I've got sin in my life. Every single one of us are sinners. Acknowledging that that sin is in our lives and believing we need Jesus who died on a cross and lived a perfect life. We need his forgiveness. He lived a perfect life, crucified on a cross, had no sin. He took on our sin on the cross. Why? So that we could be united with God once again. And so if you've never done that, man, start the conversation. Start the conversation. I wanna ask you all to pray.